Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Malachi O'Doherty, an award-winning Northern journalist, author and broadcaster. Much of his working life coincided with the Northern Irish Troubles and he's written a number of non-fiction and memoir books about that period. He's now turned his hand to fiction and his debut novel is called Terry Branken Has a Gun and is set in post-peace process Belfast. Malachi, I suppose first of all, let's chat about your career. You are a journalist first and foremost. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I started out in journalism. Uh, I did it, well, I was, when I was at college, I was doing wee bits for magazines. And I did a journalism course in the, what about, 1970? My God, yes, actually, yes. And um, and so I, I worked in, I, I had a staff job only for about a year and a half in Belfast during the early troubles. And then I went off traveling and doing stupid stuff and some clever stuff and uh, lived for a time in England, lived for a time in India, worked for a time in Libya with the army there and came back in the late 70s and picked up the threads of a career in freelance journalism. And the way journalism works, I suppose, is for a lot of people, you do what you're inclined to do. And if you're freelancing and you don't make much money, but invitations start coming in to do wee bits of stuff for newspapers, stuff for radio, then eventually a wee bit of television. I did uh, I did about a dozen TV documentaries for Channel 4 and some others. And, and then, uh, I mean, I'd always wanted to be a writer, <laughs> uh, whatever that was, even before I had anything to say or to write. Uh, but uh, efforts to get a book published or you know, were completely falling flat until an approach came to me. And that pr- approach came from Blackstaff Press in Belfast. Um, they had, they were aware of my journalism in the Belfast Telegraph and on the BBC. And they asked me to write a book on the IRA. Uh, and that book was called The Trouble With Guns. And that was my first book. And that was about 97 98 around then. Did they come to you with the fully formed idea or did you both sit down and decide what it would be? I'd have to scratch my head and try and remember, but essentially, you know, they said, um, we have been following what you're saying on radio and in your articles and uh, we would uh, we would like you to do a book which is an evaluation of the position of the provisional IRA as you understand it. And, uh, and I think that it was as simple as that. I had very naive ideas then about writing a book. I thought if you wrote a book, you were uh, going to be uh, renowned throughout the world immediately <laughs> afterwards, you know? you know. And then somebody explained to me in this whole process, you know, that uh, we're really we're really ambitious for this one. We're hoping to sell 3,000 copies. And I thought, oh, my God, is that all? Am I, why am I bothering, you know? Um, so publishing is a, is a whole different thing to, to journalism. It's much... You know, publishing books is a much uh, smaller scale venture in many ways. Um, but, uh, you know, you do it partly because you love doing it or because you want to do it. Because, you because you know, writing a book is a bit like building a house. It's beyond the capacity of any individual in any one day. 
but it you know, but that work accumulates into something which is really uh, uh, which feels as if it is beyond your capacity to do, you know, and it's done cumulatively, uh, and 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 so you end up at the end of it with something uh, either to be quite proud of. Or to be ashamed of <laughs> if you've let yourself down, but 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 that's that becomes a thing that you want to do for its own sake. So I mean, I'm now on my tenth book. Uh, the books that I'm doing are beginning to attract advances from London publishers, which are nearly worth the effort that goes into them. But the previous books, most of them made peanuts. And I mean, did you find the process then, as you said, going from the short form journalism into the the long form book as such? Did you find it frustrating or did you enjoy it? Well, I find it difficult. Um, The first books that I wrote, I found it impossible to grasp the span of the whole project in my mind, Uh, you know, to sit down and just feel the whole thing. If you're writing a uh, a radio talk or a thousand word article uh, you at a certain point in the creation of it you comprehend the whole thing you know you can hold it all in your head while you're doing it and, and good. Uh, I find it very very hard to do that with a book and I would say that um, uh, I'm only now to some extent gaining that ability uh, to comprehend a whole book uh, in the, at a moment in the creation of it uh, in the in the earlier books, and practically all of the books, uh, I was not able to do that. I really was uh, wading into something and trying to find my way and trying to structure things and uh, stepping back from it, breaking off the writing maybe for as much as three months uh, and then getting a kind of detached view of things and then going in again. Uh, but that sense of being able to sit down and hold the whole thing in your head and say, well, that's it. That's what I'm doing. That's where it's going. That's how it'll finish off. Um, that ability, uh, I, I don't really have yet in the way that I do have with short form journalism. And you're 10 books in at this point. <laughs> and I'm 10 books in at this point. So and what I'm saying is, you know, it's a learning process. <laughs> and interestingly, as you said, you know, the, the first one about the IRA and, and you've also done um, a lot of memoir. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you you published a book about Jerry Adams as well in 2018 and it's called An Unauthorised Life. So yes. in terms of yeah. that format and, and talking about somebody's life and times, how did you approach that one? That was interesting as well, because that was a publisher coming to me. I was in a situation at that time where I had been writer in residence at Queen's University for a few years, three years. I had seen my life shifting away from political writing uh, towards something that might be thought of as literature, you know, <laughs> in a, in a, in a, or, or more being more um, uh, free to be creative and explorative, I suppose. And then out of the blue comes this invitation from Neil Belton, who was a chief editor at Faber, asking me to write a book about Jerry Adams. And that was the last thing in the world I had a notion of doing at that time. Uh, but I felt, um, yeah, this is an amazing challenge. This is a very hard one to take on. Uh, your instincts as a freelance are not to refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought about it and I and I thought, well, you know, this is, this is important work. This could be breakthrough journalism. Um, 
and and so I and so I got down to it and um, um, writing about another person, you know, the the trying to empathise with somebody uh, isn't necessarily trying to love them. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's very there are great complexities about the, the personality of Jerry Adams, and it's very hard to get around that. But at the same time, I thought um, here's a man who's really my own generation. He's only a couple of years older than me. Um, we lived in roughly the same area. We grew up in the you know the same kind of background in a large Catholic family in West Belfast. We went not to the same school, but the very similar schools, the Christian Brothers, and uh, and and we both have kind of similarities in a way. And I mean, Jerry Adams is himself a storyteller. Uh, I think you know um, he, it's quite easy to conceive that. Had his life gone differently, he would have been a journalist and and quite a good journalist. Um, so so I thought, you know, there's there's a potential for for an empathy here and uh, and an exploration of that man and his life. And um, I'll never know for sure whether I got him right. And he will never say that I got him right. He will emphatically say I got him wrong. Um, but that was that was a creative challenge combined with being. A work of political analysis. So that was that was, if you like, dealing with the two sides of of writing that I wanted to do. One was to to talk politics, uh, to analyze, and the other to um, uh, to explore the human personality uh, and to explore the mind of uh, of another person, which is I in some ways an extension of of memoir writing, which which is what I had been doing. And how did you find being objective with that book? I'm not sure I was objective. I don't think I sought to be objective. Um, if you mean by deta- by objective, do you mean detached? I mean, I do think uh, I wanted to be fair. Right. I, you know, I wanted. To be, I didn't. I don't know if I wanted to be objective. I wanted to uh, to engage with the with the idea of the man and and of some kind of understanding of him. I'm not objective about the provisional IRA. I think the provisional IRA. Uh, was the worst thing that has happened in Northern Ireland in my lifetime, um, and and I and I'm quite and I, and Jerry Adams would know that I think that um, I, that's not an objective position. There's no you know it was it Churchill who said there's no objectivity between the fireman and the fire, um, but uh, but at the same time you have to ask yourself what is it that makes a man of my generation become someone someone quite different from me someone who uh, will endorse murder and destruction and chaos and uh, and will rationalize it and 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 relate it to a, a world view which uh, which is sound for him you know and i met other i mean i've never really i've interviewed jerry adams a couple of times but i've never really sat down and got through to him in the way that I have with other members of the IRA and and talk to them about about what they did. And it does intrigue me, you know, that uh, that they made decisions which I would never have taken. Right. And and, and did not take, even though I was their neighbours. And uh, and that at the end of it, you know, some of them are actually really quite civil, genial, thoughtful people, you know. Uh, So the idea that they were just evil, uh, that that these were people who, uh, if there hadn't been an IRA campaign, would have been killers and bank robbers anyway. That doesn't stack up, you know. Um, 
So there is a huge challenge to understand uh, what might make somebody that even sat in, beside you in school. I mean, Tony Henderson, for instance, one of the first IRA men to die, died in a training camp in 1971. You know, I was at the Gale, talked with Tony, you know, um, uh, and we were both homesick together in the Gale talked, you know, when we were 12 or 13 years old, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, Danny Morrison, I mean, I remember one Christmas day, Danny Morrison and I drank a bottle of Cointreau together in a burnt-out garage in the Falls Road before going down to the Astor, you know, for uh, uh, for a dance. So, uh, you know, there were the people that weren't all that different from you and went on to do those things, you know, it does... It does raise a, a question of uh, of how that happens. And you've moved now from non-fiction to fiction with Terry Bank and Has It Gone. And I feel that a lot of what you've just said is very much part of this book because it's about a guy called Terry who did an awful lot of bad deeds in the past. He's now trying to move on. He's now a solicitor and a property de- property developer. But the past is never forgotten. So have you taken a lot of, of all of that background and put it into this book? I think that's right. I think, I mean, I didn't conscientiously say, right, here's my notebooks about this. I'll go and look at that and see what I think about this. It was um, it was more uh, it was more automatic or even dreamlike than that. It was um, but it wasn't my first fiction, by the way. I've written short stories down the years that none of which have done particularly well. But still in all, <laughs> I got did my apprenticeship in that way. Good practice. But but yeah, but Terry Branken uh, is. Terry Branken intrigues me. Terry Branken is the man in a sense that we've just been talking about, mm-hmm. not Jerry Adams, I don't mean that, but that type of person who who could have been all right, you know, who was a decent enough spud, you know, who had an intelligence and an imagination and, and a capacity for uh, being a decent guy inside a relationship, for instance, you know, uh, and who had friends and, and was a good man. But Terry Branken uh, went out and killed people. And uh, we don't want to spoil the book, but Terry Branken at the end of the book is not somebody who's who will never kill again. <laughs> you know, uh, there will, you know, I think Terry Branken is, is, uh, has caught himself into a groove in life, uh, which has drawn problems to him. And some of those problems will be resolved only by killing somebody. And that's the tragedy of his life that that, that has happened. Um, but he did make decisions early in his life uh, to join the IRA. Uh, he was contemptuous in some ways of the local IRA leadership because he thought he was smarter and better than they were, and in, and indeed he was. Um, so so that is again, I suppose, I suppose, and you're pointing out to me in parallel that I haven't quite noticed until we've just said it. But I suppose the journey or the project. Within the book, Terry Branken has a gun. Uh, Terry Branken has a gun is the same as the one of the biography of of Jerry Adams. It is an effort to enter into the mind of someone who took that path, and uh, and to make and to and to accept that he is is human, you know, and that you cannot just write him off from a from a high moral position, you know, that you have to walk that journey with him to to know where he went. Now, um, uh, Terry Branken, um, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of feel I know the guy. You know? <laughs> um, You've been inside uh, his head for quite I've been a while. inside his head for quite a while, yeah. In fact, for quite a long time. And, um, and he's the sort of guy who... Um, 
who has he has a black humor. He is uh, an efficient, um, intelligent professional. Um, he's got a thick skin. Uh, he he's capable of being quite cynical, but he is also very protective of a wife that he loves, and in many ways, you know, he could he could beat the rap in the book. He could do things differently and and bring a, a crisis to an end a lot quicker if he wasn't concerned to be protective of his wife as well, you know. So there's that. Um, there's you know he's striding that uh, that dilemma. You know he is a hard man. But he is also a loving man, um, uh, and and he has he has protective concerns. He's also highly strategic. I mean, and that's a big thing, I suppose, in the Adams book as well, and in in Terry Branken has it gone. Terry Branken, the the story in a sense is, well, I mean, I shouldn't pay a compliment to my own story, <laughs> but it's it is about uh, something like a chess game. It is about um, you know he's up against challenges from the IRA, from the police, uh, from his wife, who is making an ultimatum to him, and from evolving circumstances. And he does have to make strategic calculations um, for his own survival, uh, for his own management of the problem that has been created for him, and for the preservation of his marriage, and for the conduct of, uh, of his interactions with the legal system. Let's try not to give too much away. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so, so he has a combination of decency and compassion in in the ordinary world. If he's let to get on with his life, he'll be all right. He'll he'll make it, and he'll be a decent guy, and you'll get on well with him. But if he's not left to get on with it, and he has to uh, uh, work moves, he will work those moves. And ultimately, if he has to kill somebody, he will kill somebody. Um, but really, you'd rather not. And I suppose, you know, I mean, when I'm saying that to you, I'm almost thinking of the Westerns that we watched as kids, you mm. know, you know, the, the gunslinger, the guy, the desperado, the guy who was really all right. He just wanted to work the farm, uh, you know, and keep cattle and, and, and whatever. But but the bad guys turned up and he had to do something about it, you know, and, he and you know, there's so something like that. But at the same time, at the very roots of it for Terry Branken. Jerry Adams says the war came to me. You know, I don't believe that. That's nonsense. That's crap. Terry Branken made a decision as a young man that he would get involved in the IRA and that he would kill for the IRA. And he wanted to do that, you know. But that was, in some ways, an angry, immature decision. But the implications of that, the unfolding of that down the decades of his life, uh, uh, create circumstances in which he has then no choice but to to still be a killer. And interestingly, you you have said that one publisher actually rejected the book on the basis that they thought no one would be able to empathise with him because he had murdered. About half a dozen of them said that. Really? About half a dozen of them said that. You know, and uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, I have a very good London agent, who, you know, who, who was getting me feedback from publishers very quickly. And they all, you know, Basically, they were saying, you know, take this to an Irish publisher. And I was saying, look, I am a working journalist in Belfast. I am talking to Terry Brankins every other day, at least, you know, not every other day, but certainly quite often I am sitting down talking to somebody who was in the loyalist or Republican paramilitary movement or in the police or the army and people who killed. You know, I, I working journalists in Belfast meet these people. The entire peace process is structured on the 
idea that there is room for those people. We have had people in the Northern Ireland executive, you know, who have been gunmen and gunwomen and bombers, right? And and the whole thing is based on the idea that, the, you know, that whatever they did, they have something to offer now and there's a way through this. But, uh, you know, it seemed to be the English publisher who's saying, oh, nobody will ever empathise with Terry Brangan. I Well, you know, you know, if if that's the position you take, then you're you're really kind of scoffing at our politics. You're really saying that um, uh, that we, you know, that you're really saying you don't even understand how the, how how the politics of Northern Ireland work, because the politics of Northern Ireland are predicated on the idea that um, somebody like Jerry Kelly, who was a bomber in London, somebody like Caroline Cullen, who, who who bombed a police station or tried to bomb a police station in, in Crumlin, somebody like, uh, you know, well, Martin McGuinness himself, who, who was undoubtedly uh, uh, a killer. You know, the, the, you're saying, you know, that you would write them off completely and there would be no place for them. Well, you know, people in Northern Ireland, I think, get the book because they know that that's the way the world works here. Uh, I think the idea that um, that nobody would appreciate Terry Branken because of the awful thing that he did is uh, is a failure to understand Northern Ireland mm-hmm. politics. But, and nobody here has put that up to me, you know? Nobody here has come back at me and said, um, uh, I could never empathize with Terry Branken because of what he did. Some reviewers have said, your loyalties shift as you read the book. There is that challenge, and and maybe that's true. People, first of all, think, well, Terry Branken, you 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 evil being, look at what you did, you know. But Terry Branken himself has troubles with what he did from the very beginning of the book. Terry Branken, Terry Branken goes to the uh, Dom McGrath figure, the top guy, after an atrocious bomb that he's been involved in, and he says to him, "Look, I can't do this anymore." You know, so Terry Branken has a conscience from the very beginning. And I think the the evaluation of the book on those terms is a very weak evaluation. How long did it take to get published then? The first draft of that book was written uh, about 12 years ago. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. The first draft was written about 12 years ago. And then um, and, and I put it aside. And in those 12 years, I've written about five other books. And and about a dozen short stories that were published uh, online, and um, and then when I was working on the Adams book, um, I had an approach from a London agent who had seen some of my short stories, and she said, "Have you got a novel?" And I said, "Well, I do, you know, but it's, you know, it's it's dormant, you know, because um, it's going nowhere." And she said, "Well, let me have a look at it," and um, and we discussed it, and uh, and she came up with some ideas some feedback for me. When you looked at it again, Malachi, after, as you say, those 10, 11, 12 years, how did you feel reading it back? Did you think it was good or it needed a lot of work? I thought it was quite good, although it was about, it was only about 50,000 words long at that time, which is quite short. I think it was almost like laying down layers. And I think that's true of the other books as well. You know, you get your first draft and it's not, I mean, I always wonder when people talk about, I've done a first draft and a second draft and a third draft. I've done the whole thing over and over again. To me, it's more like laying down layers. Um, There's a whole middle section, if you're, I don't know, you know, in the book where uh, Terry goes to university and uh, to become a lawyer and meets Kathleen, and they have this friend who's killed by a loyalist paramilitary. You know that that whole section wasn't there 
in in the first draft, you know. And yet when I was writing that, when I was putting down that layer, if you like, it was almost like I was that of course that happened. You know, mm-hmm. that that was, you know, it was almost like I was peeling something away rather than add something, adding, adding something on. It was almost like, you know, I was trying to understand Kathleen and and uh, her relationship with Terry. And why would somebody like Kathleen, who knew that Terry was in the IRA, why would she why would she stay with him? And 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 asking those questions, this is what unfolded, you know, and uh, and in some ways, in some ways we don't create books the way we build houses, we uncover them, you know, there's something like that. I mean, if you think of the very fact that we dream and in dreaming, we're telling stories to ourselves, you know, storytelling is something that we do uh, when we're doing nothing, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it's like the most effortless thing that we do because we do it even in our sleep. Um, and something of that process works in the creation of a novel, uh, you know, that you're uncovering rather than uh, rather than piling on. And obviously the nonfiction books are very much fact based uh, novel writing. You're making things up. So that transition, how did you find it? Um, well, uh, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, I do joke, you know, that novel writing's easier because you just make it up, you know, <laughs> but that is just a joke. You know, it, it is both our storytelling. Um, I mean, I'm working on a book at the moment, which is due for delivery in September, which is looking back again at the early period of the Troubles. So it's a Troubles related thing, but it's very much based on interviews with people going out and getting their story and weaving these stories together, you know. Um, so, so that mix of first person memoir and telling another person's story has has been there from the beginning and and I think maybe didn't work as well in the earlier books as it might be starting to work now in the later books but um, the story will have a logic of its own you know and um, this sounds like the most awful because I've done, like you, I've done interviews with writers and I've heard them say these things. And I think, God, am I just going to sound like another writer who's saying this? But I mean, the reality is that um, uh, it is storytelling, uh, whether it's nonfiction or, or fiction. And uh, it has to work at the at the level of story. Um, now, if I'm analyzing the motivation of, of somebody who joins the provisional IRA in a piece of journalism, or in a in a piece of fiction, you know the 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 thing that'll get it across to you is its plausibility, um, and yet there is that other thing I suppose is the analysis, and the analysis isn't storytelling. The analysis is thinking the thing through and extrapolating, and yet that is in the fiction as well. You know that is very much in Terry Branken has it gone. I mean, there's that whole scene where. Um, the detective sits down with Kathleen and gives his account of what he thinks the IRA was up to and his appraisal of the character of the top man, Don McGrath. You know, that is analytical, uh, but it's the intermingling of analysis and story uh, is in both the fiction and the nonfiction. And I know now, having said that, I'll go away in an hour and I'll think, oh, why didn't I, why didn't I, 
Why didn't I say? <laughs> why didn't I say something else? But that, but essentially, that is true. That that there is that interweaving of the analysis and the and the narrative. And uh, I mean, I remember once reading a piece of um, memoir at a creative writing group taken by Kieran Carson at Queens, and I read this story to him, and I thought that the validity of the story was that it was true, and and he said, you know, that doesn't work because. You're telling me if it's true, but I don't know if it's true or not. The only way that'll work for me as a story is if it works as a story, whether it's true or not, you know. And um, uh, and that, uh, you know that that was important, you know. Uh, just just saying something is true doesn't make it uh, compelling in narrative terms. And uh, you've you've actually published four memoirs and quite interesting about different topics. Mm. One is your view on religious issues. Another one yeah. outlining your work as a, as a journalist. Uh, one about your father and another about cycling and ageing. Yeah. So, I mean, four memoirs. <laughs> what possessed you? <laughs> I know it makes you feel like, you know, you know, when I, the first one was, um, you see, the trouble with guns had a big memoir input into it as well, you know, because when you're writing about Northern Ireland, everybody's going to say, oh, he's a, he's a Catholic, he's a Protestant, he's coming from here. That's his position on this. You know, we know where, where what his background is. And uh, and then they will make judgments on the basis of that. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to write an appraisal of the IRA from my perspective, then what I'll do is I'll set down my own story, you know, and and, and then you can have that. And you can judge me against that. And in some ways that didn't work because people came afterwards and they said, I really loved the memoir part, but then you went into all this bloody analysis of the politics and the IRA. Mm. And why did you, if you just left that out and left it as memoir, it would have been a good book. And other people said, yeah, I really like that analysis, Malachi. That's really, really good. But what's all that blather about your own life, you know, and, 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 and showing off and telling stories. And so in a sense, it was a hybrid, you know, and that challenge to mingle the two in a more coherent way so that the two work for each other uh, has, has been the biggest challenge of that sequence of books, uh, you know. But um, the, the I remember then I was I was in a bookshop and I was uh, I picked up my own book. It was called I Was a Teenage Catholic. Mm-hmm. And this woman journalist friend of mine came in and she saw me with it. And I says, have you read it? And she said, um, who do you think wants to read about you, Malachi? You know, and I thought, well, right enough. You know, it takes some cheek to think that you have something to give to the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet in all the motivation and the hunger uh, to write is, is very, very strong. So, so then I worried about this for a while and then I just put it out of my head you know it's not about who the hell wants to read about you Malachi it's about uh, the creative job that I feel I have in hand uh, to get out of my system Mm -hmm. and um, and then I I wrote about my father and uh, again that was interesting because there were people who said um, uh, well there were people in the family who said why did you do that that's you know you shouldn't have done that that's uh, that's disgraceful, you know. That's shameful what you've done. Uh, you're just embarrassing me, you know, and stuff. And um, 
And again, uh, I could, you know, see their point. And and then I taught memoir classes as well. And I said to people, you know, these are questions you have to deal with. If you're going to take, give, present something as a piece of memoir, then you are telling us that uh, that this is true. You know, you can't be just making stuff up and, and telling me yarns and, uh, you know, and, and calling it memoir. There has to be an integrity to it. And... Um, and then the question arises, what gives you the right to talk about your alcoholic father <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> to embarrass your family? And, and I, think, um, I think it goes back to, I think human evolution has produced, it, the human evolution has produced our soldiers who will defend us, and it has produced our, our, our Brahmins and our priests who will, who will lead us in community, you know, and it has produced our merchants and people who, will, who, can, who can trade and bring uh, things back to the tribe, you know. But it's also produced the storyteller, mm. you know, and the storyteller at the fire, you know, uh, uh, whether it was, you know, at the very, you know, 10,000 years ago, you know, or, or whether now still the storyteller uh, has got, is, is, is nature's contribution to, to human society and, and, and community. And it, so in that sense, it is a vocation which carries responsibility to it. But, you know, there was the guy who walked up to the campfire and sat down with a group of people and said, come here to tell you, you'll never believe this. But this is what I saw over the hill, you know, and uh, and uh, and that is a job that nature delegates to people. And uh, for better or for worse, I am one of the people to whom that job is delegated. And I know how arrogant that sounds, but that is actually how I believe it. Well, Malachi O'Darty, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find Malachi's book, Terry Branken Has a Gun, in your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 